So how, on God's gray earth, did this wrapping paper in the gutter moving slowly as the wind on the sea faces and this And even this. Become this. and Outliers, the podcast where we take a closer look at that one album that sticks out in artist discography like a sore thumb. It may be their best album, or it may be their worst album, but either way, it's that one album where the artist was so preoccupied with whether or not they could, they didn't stop to think if they should. This week on the panel, we have Logan Renard, Matthew Marr, and we've got a special guest with us, uh, Zeke Yoko. Did I pronounce that right? That's perfect. Way to go. Sweet. He's the uh, bass player for uh, bands like Ghost Tapes and Eerie Still and Contraband and I don't know what all else, like seven or eight other bands probably. <laughs> bass players are hard to come by. but um, it's true. Get a lot of working jobs. So we got two bass players, which is important because this week we are um, delving deep into a bass-heavy album. But before we do that, I just want to remind everyone we're on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify and Himalaya, I think, and all sorts of different apps. I've wow. Castbox, Google, Google Podcasts. Po- there you go. Yeah. So you know, wherever you're hearing us, we're on there, obviously. So uh, you know, rate, review, subscribe, and um, let's dig into this album. This is the 1970 release by Jack Bruce, formerly of Cream, called "Things We Like." So. Um, I guess we'll dig into starting off with who is Jack Bruce? I mean, well, yeah, he's most famously known as the bass player for the band Cream. Yes. Not only the bass player, but he was sort of the lead singer on, on most of the stuff. Clapton sings a couple of songs and, and they let Ginger sing, get, get, get his one <laughs> every, once in, a while, uh, every yeah. once in a while. But, uh, um, yeah, he, he's kind of the Les Claypool of his, of his day. And songwriter. Yeah, and songwriter. Um, before he was in Cream, which was a super group, he was in uh, the, the Graham Bond organization and uh, uh, Manfred Mann and, and a bunch of other stuff. In the uh, kind of yeah. early days of, of uh, if you think of how incestuous. Um, as well as the Blues Breakers. Yeah, yeah, the, um, the early kind of, oh, geez, what are they called? 
the Clapton thing, the Yardbirds. Yeah, like the Yardbird. How incestuous that sort of stuff was. Um, uh, Jack Bruce was was there and involved in a, in a very similar scene, and so he played in a lot of bands, officially or not. Yeah, early on, and uh, he was uh, a musician from an early age. I think his folks were musicians, and he was really into jazz, but that you know was still. Not really a thing to be taken seriously at the time, and not uh, financially. <laughs> and uh, and so he did go to uh, um, go to school, and he studied uh, um, the cello and uh, and composition in college. And uh, yep, and ended up playing a lot of upright bass and jazz bands, which led him into electric bass and rock and roll stuff. As the as the blues kind of explosion took off in in uh, in England. Yeah, I mean, Cream. I mean, now is seen as like one of Clapton's groups, but at the time it was really sort of an egalitarian supergroup. And Jack Bruce was as famous as Clapton at the time. He just did not have the solo career afterwards. So, well, he certainly is, is famous in in musician circles. That is true. Mm-hmm. I mean, That's you know, fair. London London's a big city, but that scene was not all that big. Well, no, he he has so. had a career afterwards. It just didn't want to have anything to do with pop music, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, he, he wasn't. Might, he might be Phil more Collins prolific produces. than Clapton after the fact. Occasion, just, occasional tiny forays here, mm-hmm. here and there into poppiness, but not really. No. And, and if you look at the like the personnel involved in his post cream stuff, it's nuts. It's a it's a badass list of of badasses <laughs> um, doing stuff that's maybe not as accessible as your uh, you know tears for he- from heaven or whatever. <laughs> Well, he'd occasionally put bands together that that would do, or even Ginger Baker's Air Force Academy, or whatever. Right, right, yeah, it was just, whatever, man. He's he's yeah. Ginger's playing with fella, so who cares? Yeah, I think it was just, <laughs> I think it was just the Air Force, but but uh, uh, maybe there was an academy in there. They um, uh, but but he occasionally, I know Jack Bruce would put together, you know, cream creamish bands with some hotshot guitar player to to do that kind of older material. That's but, a good band. That's a good band name is Ginger Baker's on online Academy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do not join. It's probably a safe distance. <laughs> Run away. <laughs> if a Nigerian prince says they're in contact Ginger. with Ginger Baker, yeah. do not respond to that email. Ginger Baker's online university is what I meant to say. Yeah. <laughs> so this album was apparently the first solo album that Jack Bruce recorded, but the second released, his first one uh, came out in like 69 or 70, right after Cream broke up. But he recorded this while he was still with Cream, probably expressing some frustration with Cream because, as he and Ginger used to say, Cream is a jazz group. We just didn't tell Eric Clapton. Right, right. <laughs> so he wanted to do something that was far more recognizable as jazz. And that's what this album is. I mean, this isn't dip your toe into kind of jazz. This is definitely a jazz record so oh yeah and there's like a lot of things on this record where to a certain degree like some people might feel that it's almost like meandering or sort of doing this sort like looking for a sound or or something like that and like they do a really good job of sort of finding a sound and finding something that they like to play i mean like the album's called like things we like right so like that's that's really what they're going for is just looking for things they like and it's fun listening to them explore that this is a also a pretty uh seminal uh fusion record yeah I mean, it it leans way more into you know what it called modern you know, modern jazz post kind of blue sort of um you know, more modal jazz kind of stuff um but 
with with some free jazz elements, but it is with without there being too much screaming electric guitar or electric bass or mm-hmm. really rock and roll-y kind of drums on it, it's it, it it's where things are going with jazz fusion in the next couple of years in well, the in that decade. Oh yeah. Big time. And it makes sense when it when it was recorded, would have been right before, you know, the, oh, yeah. the fusion, you know, the the big the big yeah. uh, rock elements, especially the loud electric guitar. Well and and as you know, he's present on this thing, it's John McLaughlin is like yeah, the one guy. of one Ooh. of the guys for that yeah screaming jazz fusion electric guitar thing so now theoretically and i don't know if we want to chime in on this jack bruce wrote all these songs when he was 11 <laughs> the wikipedia page says something <laughs> like he alleges that he yeah. <laughs> i'm gonna i'm just gonna put it out there but that seems unlikely yeah. i mean I love the title of the last song and the intro of the last song, right? Yeah. Like, Jack Bruce, age three, in yeah, Scotland. Yeah. And then they play the song. And you're like, wait, that's... Come on. <laughs> I, I remember um, when I was in grade school, a buddy of mine, we put a band together, but we, we, had, we didn't play any instruments or anything. Yeah. So we would, we would write lyrics to the songs, and then we would, for the music, we would just kind of draw a line, like instrumental part. <laughs> scribble, scribble, and then go on. Go. So I guess you could say those songs were written when I was in fourth grade. Well, it, it, yeah, these song titles may have been written. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he just wrote down the title, you know. And well, I just needed the C right, minor or the whatever right people to interpret my uh, you know. very yes, <laughs> right, yeah. vague. Yeah. Well, I mean, he was a young, gifted prodigy, but I somehow doubt these were actually written when he was eleven, and I'm not quite sure why he presented that as truth. I think he's but, pretty drunk a lot of the time. Yeah. It's a, it's a he's, fun story. On. Yeah. I mean, if you look at the uh, cover of the album, he looks homeless. <laughs> Poor guy. Uh, <laughs> like he's got a couple of dogs and he's living out of a van. <laughs> I would, I would like to say, yeah, straight up that Jack Bruce is one of my all time musical heroes and is just fantastic. He's maybe a little underappreciated, you know, folks like John Entwistle and Jacob Pistorius oh my God, get yeah. a lot of um, credit for shaping the way that, musicians approach the electric bass, which is still a really new instrument at the time. And I, I think Jack Bruce deserves as much credit as those guys on a lot of, in a lot of areas. He really was doing stuff that, you know, wouldn't become commonplace for, you know, a generation after he was doing it. And, and he did it yeah, I in, a, in a very unique way. Um, and he was ahead of the curve. Yeah. He, there's a lot of, there's a lot of cool, crazy crazy you know like step and a half bends and you know trips all the way up to you know all the way up the neck and crazy slides with more cello like phrasing than you would get on a uh you know when you play the the electric bass or the electric guitar there are these certain sort of pentatonic licks that just kind of fall under your dumb fat fingers in a box <laughs> you know anybody can play the guitar um yeah and that doesn't mean that's the only stuff you can play on the guitar, but if you're teaching yourself or, you know, you're just noodling around, that's the stuff you tend to end up on. And when I listen to Jack Bruce's playing, there's a really a lot of uh, melodic counterpoint and things like that and big intervallic leaps that you that don't fall into that easy box. Hey, if I stay right here, it sounds like music, no matter what notes I play. Um, 
it's stuff that you just wouldn't do by accident. It, you can tell he yeah. studied. Well, and there's yeah. a couple things there. Like one of those is sort of your ear. Once you're playing with an instrument that's tuned in fifths all the time, you're used to hearing those really big stretches. And yeah. like, that's really what he's going for, right? And then in addition to that, I mean, it's not just like the range in which he's playing in and, and sort of the melodicness of like what he's doing, but it's also like listening to his collection from 69, like all the way up through like 2013 or whatever that was. Um, at least 2003, then like his sound changes so significantly, but it all stays at this really big round sound. At first we have like these big fuzz pedals that are just really cutting through the mix and like making themselves known. And then it gets fatter and fatter and fatter as time goes on. He switched to a a Warwick fretless that he played for most of his career lately. And he gets this really brown and round sound that's very mid rangey and punchy compared to his early stuff. I would like to say that in Cream and probably right before Cream, there are no bass amps. Bass amplifiers don't exist. You just plugged into a Marshall. And so oh. what sounds like fuzz pedal is not fuzz pedal. It's, just, it's the a, best it's, we could do. It's, it's a straight like, up. Like, it's 400 watt Marshall full stacks just fucking dimed and right. about to catch on In fire. In an attempt oh to fill God. up an arena. Yeah, right? in an yeah. attempt to fill up an arena from stage. And it's like, that's there's not a distortion pedal that'll get you that, kids. That's, <laughs> wow. Well, the, um, no wonder it's so beautiful. Well, and, and another thing too is when when he does what he does, I think he he definitely was an innovator, you know, along those lines. Um, you know, he did uh, he did uh, some recordings with Frank Zappa, you know, most notably, yeah, you know, apostrophe, apostrophe, yeah. And uh, you know, Frank's comment when they when they said, "Well, what was it like playing with him?" and and Frank in his kind of acerbic way, I don't think he was being mean or anything. He just said, "Well," he said. Whatever it is Jack plays, it's not the bass. And, yeah. and, and, uh, you know, so so I think that's you know that was that was kind of the. Uh, that's a great. That's a fantastic window into his bag of tricks and right. the way that he approaches stuff. That song. So yeah, go listen to Apostrophe by Frank Zappa. Just yeah, it'll yeah it'll. That one's real fuzzed out. It's pretty good. Yeah. Well, and for all of Jack's, you know, influence and innovation on the electric bass, this is an album where he plays upright exclusively i believe so that's that is one way in which this is an outlier from the rest of his you know solo career even as diverse as his solo career is yeah on that warwick bass he plays it a lot uh, at least visually you know when i've seen him seen him play this thing um it, it, he plays it a lot like he would an upright yeah oh yeah i mean, no, I mean not sure. standing up but it he has, does it has kind of a wide a wide neck and he sticks able to, to um, he sticks to smandle method actually i read something about him Talking about that, where when he switched to the the um, the EB three, the short scale Gibson thing, that he was running real like the lightest road. You know, they would have been like a ninety to like a thirty five, like really light roto sounds on a short scale bass. So, I mean, practically guitar strings that you could bend right off the damn neck of the bass if you wanted to. And he was like, you know, I actually had to get used to when you play in this Mandel method, which you have to do on upright bass. You effectively have three independent digits, your first finger, your middle finger, and then your ring and your pinky together, um, which allows you to have a lot better vibrato and play in tune a little bit easier. Better tone overall. Better tone overall. In fact, when you're playing a note with your pinky, you're really holding down all four. You know, it's the weight of your arm that's fretting the note, not that individual digit. Right. You approach electric guitar and electric bass differently, or you you can do it either way. A lot of people blend the two styles but he was talking about, he's like, yeah, I could use, you know, like four independent digits or even do some weird thumb position crap up high. And it let me have like, you know, a seven or eight fret span up high. 
And so he was like, I could play all these cello things that I, you know, heard in my head from playing cello. There's something about that with musicians who, uh, their musicality surpasses their chosen instrument or their chosen voice. And I think that's with his playing and a lot of his music, you can tell that he's a dude who was like, well, I know how this goes. I wrote this on piano and, but I can hear a horn part in my head and I can hear a cello part or a guitar part. And he, because he plays all these instruments and he's worked with a lot of people who are good players who play those instruments, he can hear the, the full song. And a lot of it bleeds into his bass playing where you would never conceive that on a bass guitar because it makes you jump from one note to another note. That's like a foot and a half farther up. the fucking <laughs> Yeah. Line. It's just insane. Yeah. But he knows that that sounds good because he's played it on some other instrument or he just, you know, plays piano well and, and composes, you know, without having to rely on the, you know, his primary instrument and yeah. it's kind of cool. Yeah. Now, Logan, you are the, uh, stereo spectrum master. Uh, Oh boy. Did you notice anything when you listened to this? I listened to this, uh, on my stereo cause I was ah. listening to it on iTunes. So well, there you go. <laughs> cause apparently when this album first came out in 1970, everything was in the right ear except the drums and the drums were all in the left ear. So you could turn the drums off if you wanted to. That's actually kind of awesome. It Well, it annoyed the hell out of people, and they kept pressing for a, a mono mix, and su- subsequent re- releases have put the drums so in the center. A, and, there was a logic to it. Like yeah, a, uh, but yeah. This is, this is it, the raw power of jazz fusion. Huh? Yeah, right. but yeah. So, I mean, if, most likely if you listen to it on CD or any recent release of it, it's got, you know bass on left and sax on right and the drum centered. But if you get a vintage vinyl issue of this, you will notice there are... That probably would have driven people crazy at the time just because... In headphones, I can't imagine. Jazz records in particular are not known for having crazy stereo shit going on because... You know, the classic period of that stuff no. predates. And that's a question. Wacky stereo who was he totally? Who was he aiming this at? Because it, it doesn't say anywhere on there that this is a jazz record. Was he trying to like trick old cream fans into getting into jazz? Or Well, anybody who saw Cream uh live back in the day is should be prepared for at least this much noodly bullshit. Yeah, but this isn't <laughs> like, that, you know... I mean... My, Prin- this isn't like Prince's News album where it's kind of jazzy, how but well did this his, is... How well did his first... Uh, his first album had one of his biggest hits on it, which wasn't that big, but Theme from an Imaginary Western was... Oh, yeah, right, right, totally. of course. So this might, have been, this might have been a record company attempt to cash in a bit. Yeah, I think this may you, also... You know. Yeah. What else do you have? Yeah. yeah I think and he didn't record days. it first and right, probably right. didn't put it out first because he's like, if I put this out there, there goes my solo career. Off. So I got yeah. to do the the more poppy or, solo. Or maybe the record company refused to release it. Now they were like, hey, we, we, you know, oh, we can get our money back on this thing. There you well, go. everyone's allowed like a sophomore slump, right? Exactly. So like, put out the good first album <laughs> yeah. and then the second you, one. You have you your know. sophomore slump planned in advance. Yeah. That is some Good thinking on there. And so. 50 years later, people talk about it on a podcast, whatever that <laughs> you is. You know that, that uh, theme from an imaginary Western? That was a big kind of hit, I guess, from yeah. Mountain. Yeah, I, I heard it was covered by a couple of different bands. It's not yeah. a bad song. I mean, it's... Mountain's not bad. Yeah, no. It, not yeah. Like, there are worse things to be in life. <laughs> the, I think that, was it Felix, the bass player from Mountain, was a big big buddy of uh yeah, yeah. of uh, Jack and and, and, and he uh he produced some of his stuff and was uh 
also the reason that Jack played uh, an EB3. Oh, wow. Well, there you go. Well, shall we dig into the album proper? Um, The first song is entitled Over the Cliff. good pirate yar <laughs> somebody credited as pirate yar in the, <laughs> probably <laughs> in the liner notes who's the sax player uh saxophone player is dick hextall smith dick dick and the guitarist must be named sam then there you go sam There you go. That is some, uh, you know, very up, upbeat, high tempo, fast tempo, rather. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bass lines zipping along. Yeah. Especially for a, an 11 year old. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you need a little ladder to get yeah, up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like a, yes. but, uh, It's a little rascals thing where, like, two of the kids are plucking I, a string. You know, just, I, I don't know how much <laughs> this has been on their shoulders. touched up in the digital age, but the recording's quite nice. It's like yeah. the, the engineers yeah. knew what they were doing. Do we know where it was recorded? I think it was recorded in Scotland, actually. Scotland, interesting. Yeah, I dig the sound of everything on it. It's it's very cool. Um, yeah. It's like maybe those those engineers who did not know what to do with rock bands, they knew what to do. With <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, they've yeah, been yeah. doing jazz a little longer, <laughs> yeah. so yes. Yeah. By that point, they should know what they're doing. But there's also definitely like a nice, interesting like opening to it. Like if that if that's the first album on the on or first song on the entire album, like the. It really is over the cliff. Like we are diving in right now. Like this is what's happening. Yeah, there's like, no tiptoeing fast. into this. Yeah. You're, you're yeah. either on board or get out now. Yeah, we Finger, are currently falling. Fingers <laughs> crossed this isn't them easing us into this thing. Yeah, right? yeah. it's getting worse from here. That's <laughs> uh, pretty good. Um, the other thing too is like a lot of the sound um, is really, it's in its own space. Like, and yeah, like that sort of happens in the headphones a little bit. Like I have like sax and drums on the left, mostly in the tiniest bit of bass, but it feels like bleed, like from yeah. the drum microphones. Um, but like, aside from that, they they all are actually like holding their own space, like sonically, instead of like delving into each other's spaces a lot. Yeah, that's more of a, like a production note kind of thing. It's yeah. really well, you know, if you're recording or producing an album if you can make sure that every you know there isn't a lot of sonic overlap yeah then and it's and a lot easier be, to mix stuff it's, it's a lot yeah. easier to listen to stuff and yeah. well and they might be you know mm-hmm. they that could be a lot of them too yeah yeah, yeah they're, they're like know. i know not to step in here when he's doing that well right. as you know it's it's a everything's acoustic except for the electric guitar kind of stuff, uh, you know, they're, they probably just set up and rehearsed in a room without amplification or anything like that. And so, I, I you know, they're probably used to making things sound good in a room just playing their <laughs> yeah, instruments. And, right. Well, yeah. uh, a lot of jazz is listening to the other players, so that helps a lot. I mean, this is, right. you know, I am not a jazz aficionado by any stretch, so I can't tell if this is 
good jazz or bad jazz, but it's certainly... <laughs> ah, the dreaded bad jazz. Ah, uh, bad jazz. Well, have you listened to H. John Benjamin's album? Uh, I thought that was a comedy album. Well, <laughs> it it's... Um, he, he hired some... Wasn't meant to be. <laughs> he hired some of the best jazz session guys he could find, walked in, sat down, and with them playing backing... Played piano for the first time ever in his entire life. Oh, oh yeah. So it's a <laughs> lot of, great. you know. Outsider art. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> he clear, he's not trying to do bad, but since he doesn't know how to play, it is bad. But, I mean, it's at least rhythmically in time. And, you know, if the notes were right, it would have sounded cool. But he is. It's jazz piano outsider art. It's a pretty it's, specific. Uh, yeah, it's a, like. <laughs> I, it's, it's, you get to hear him learn, you know. Yeah. It's, great. I mean, it's about as free as you get, I suppose. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's worth listening to maybe a cut or two. The whole album gets a little wearisome after a while. But it is an interesting jazz daredevil feat. But, yeah, this is this is not that. This is guys who know how to play. I'm glad he didn't hire a Pro Tools, Pro Tools guru to um, just fix slice, it. Slice to fix it, it yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I think that was part of the uh, joke or whatever. But, right. yeah. The um, the next song, actually, is really cool, like, statues. It's yeah. it's pretty great. It's got, like, some really cool, weird, like, standing things that uh, that work really nicely, which is why it's called Statues, it seems like. There you but, go. Pretty pretty innovative for an 11-year-old. Yeah, right. Let's give it a listen. Going gut strings or a hybrid set know, or something. Actually. It's like, got a nice mid rangey rattle to it for the hit stuff, but the Narco sounds good too. Oh yeah. Well Narco still has like a lot of these like fret like the fretboard noise on it yeah. too. Like it's just really it's like super low action. Like it does sound like guts though. Yeah. Now that we're over the cliff, we're we're sitting in a valley of much less franticness. Yeah, we're like sitting in the water, like just hanging out, go. like like letting the fish touch our feet, you know, like yeah, like finally finding direction at some point. But this isn't like smooth jazz. You couldn't put this on in an elevator, <laughs> drive people nuts at the dentist's office. Like all that high stuff Jack's playing is crazy. Yeah, I was going to say, is that still the bass? Yeah. Position of high. I didn't even know you could press the strings down that high. Oh, yeah. yeah. We haven't heard a lot of the guitar yet. I think they're kind of still a little dubious on whether the electric guitar works in this context for now. John McLaughlin doesn't give a shit. Well, no, (laughs) but, you know, (laughs) this ain't his album. He's going to play anyways. Yeah, right. And they really do just like sit here. Like there's not like, yeah, there's a lot of ideas happening, but we're not like changing keys yeah. in a way that's like significant. Like it's, it's a lot of like this space. Yeah. Which I think is like why they call it statues. Like it's a lot of just this like standing still like. Yeah, there's no forward momentum. It's just exploring this one <laughs> six inch patch of ground. Right. Well, that's, I mean, that's kind of a hallmark of that. Like I was saying earlier, the. Oh, there it is. Okay, now we, we've decided to go somewhere. Post kind of blue, kind of like modal jazz, modern jazz thing. Where yep. There are 
big ostinato kind of things, or it's just a blues. Yeah. Not a blues with a turnaround that has 30 chords in it. It's right. just, you know. All right, so from there, there's like a bunch of time, like more things happen. It gets a little more listenable, right? Yeah. But that, that <laughs> intro is like definitely a very like still place to be. And like, yeah, there's a lot of playing happening. It's cool. Yeah. The Arco bass with the saxophone up top sounds really cool. Oh, yeah. Well, and you know, it's, with it a, sounds like like uh, Barry and and tenor or something kind of unison line or harmony line, but well, with an instrumental album, it's hard to create diversity between tracks. So going from over the cliff to the opening of Statues, I think was his way of saying there's different things happening on this album. It may sound all like jazz to you, but there's <laughs> different stuff if yeah. you pay attention. Yeah, these they do a pretty good job at taking you on a ride instead of. Just feeling you, feeling like you're stuck in a the same spot for an hour. I think it is very interesting that this is not. It's clearly not. You know, oh my god, or no, not a rock and roller trying to play jazz. Jazz Odyssey, right, right. You know, that this sort of thing. It's like, it's like, no. It's like, I mean, if you, if all you knew of Jack Bruce was Cream, if, if I mean, if that's all you knew, and that's this, most this, people, you would probably go, holy crap, this guy can play. Yeah, you know, I mean, this is this is what you would hear instead of just sort of you know, uh, kind of endless psychedelic hootery that you know Cream was wont to indulge in on occasion. Yeah, yeah. That uh, um, it's like wow, there's there's a and, and I'm just I guess what I'm really getting at is that this informs the Cream stuff a lot more than the Cream stuff informs this. That oh, makes sense. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely yeah. yeah, definitely. It is funny to think of. Um, this album being recorded in 1970 um, or earlier. Uh, there's a lot of contemporary jazz music that's on the, they, they don't, they wouldn't even call it free jazz anymore, but there's a mm -hmm. lot of contemporary jazz that sounds a lot like oh my God, a lot yeah. of the stuff that's going on in this. Yeah. Um, especially out of New York. Um, there's a, there's a lot of stuff from the eighties in New York that sounds just like this. Yeah. It's like identical. Yeah, yeah. for sure. So they, they had a, so this wasn't a throwback. This they, was cutting they, edge. They might not have invented it, but they they are uh, not exactly late to the party. They're either. in it, right, yeah. exactly. Wow, that's um, yeah. I wonder, do we have any any inkling as to uh, not necessarily from you know the the already Jack Bruce fans, but yeah. but from the jazz world, was there any critical? I don't hmm. know if jazz fans discovered it that much. Or was it just mainly, you know, ignored by, you know... I mean, like, McLaughlin fans are going to, like, totally check it out, potentially, because, like, a lot of those guys were more active, but I don't know that anyone else really cared. No, I don't... I don't. I think it's a pretty small group of people, as it probably remains to today. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> the Venn diagram of... Yeah. I, I think for the, the, the boppers and the hard boppers and stuff back in the in the day when Fusion started happening, I, I don't know. I think it was pretty divisive. I, I, I think... I think some people were on. I think you either loved it if you were if you were coming from a a jazz fandom place and fusion started happening. I think you either really dug it or you, you hated it and just thought it was terrible noise. Yeah, and so Bob Dylan goes electric. Bet, yeah, yeah, this is Bob exactly. Dylan goes electric. 100%. Yeah, that's well, actually a great. Example. A lot of jazz people were, mm, shall we say, miffed at rock and roll for sort of stealing their thunder. Yeah, still. So they may, you know, have seen Jack Bruce's name on it, and if they knew who Jack Bruce was, would have deliberately not ah. listened to this album. But as we pointed out already, he's coming from the jazz world into right. the rock and roll world, not the other way around. Yeah. And 
as a big jazz fusion nerd, there is a weird line where the original people doing jazz fusion um, were jazz musicians who decided to try on this rock and roll thing. You get a little bit farther down the line, and then there's people who don't come from a jazz background. Um, as the same thing happens with rock and roll, where there was no rock and roll previously, so yeah, everybody was a jazz musician or jazz, some other type of musician coming into it. And so, like once you cross this point where the the next generation starts and they're raised on jazz fusion, it doesn't. It's not as rooted in the, you know, in the the jazz tradition as much, and in some cases loses loses some of the magic, and in some cases it does its own new unique thing and is really cool. So I games mean, I, new magic. Yeah. Yeah. I hate to say it, <laughs> it sucks <laughs> because they didn't, you know? Yeah. Did you ever see that movie bird? I haven't seen it yet. No, I saw where Mr. Baker and you know, Oh yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Watch well, that. That's awesome. You know, <laughs> that. Birds, birds, uh, you know, a Hollywood dramatization, but yeah, but there is a, just a, my, my favorite scene in that whole, whole thing is there's, um, uh, you know, um, Horace Whitaker plays the lead, right? Yeah. So, so he's bird, but he, um, uh, a, a former friend of his is playing. This must have been like in the early '60s, maybe. Is playing rock and roll, right? Yeah. On a on a saxophone, and and I guess he sees him and he goes and he steals his sax and he's out in the alley playing it. And the guy comes out, you know, screaming at him, "What the hell are you doing? You know, stealing my horn?" And he's like, "He goes, I just wanted to make sure it still worked." <laughs> Yikes. Holy shit! That's great. Oh my god. Uh, well, like a lot of the guys in the uh, Wrecking Crew were originally jazz musicians who just couldn't get jazz gigs and so had to play Beach Boys songs to make a living. But, you know, yeah, that sort of crossover is usually a pretty fruitful one. But they so. brought a lot of their yeah. jazz background into what they were doing. Right. And so yeah, they couldn't have done what they did without that background. But yeah. Or they could have. It just would have sounded lame. Well, yeah. and there's probably plenty of studio musicians who were want to be rock and rollers and they didn't get the gigs because <laughs> all they knew was those three chords. But right. Shall we move on to, um, well, before, be... before we start the next one, yes. the one thing I did want to grab was a quick lineup of who all's on this because it's going to matter for the title. Okay. Um, I think this one is called Sam enchanted Dick. Yeah. Which is a uh, Sam sack written by Milt Jackson. And then, Rills Thrills, written by Dick Hexall Smith. That's why, okay. Yeah. That's why I was like, because Dick is also the name of the, the saxophonist, right? Yes, like, yes. So I was like, what is going on with that? Okay, So great. this is apparently a medley of two songs that has a different title entirely, and one of them is named after the saxophonist Dick. <laughs> Sam Enchanted Dick. Sam Enchanted Dick. Do you suppose that's a play on words? Perhaps. <laughs> Supposed to be Sam's enchanted dick. This is a typo. There you go. <laughs> Producer wouldn't let him. Yeah. What would have happened had Jack Bruce asked Clapton to play this instead? 
not this. Would have been lame. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it would have been one of the coolest things that Clapton <laughs> yeah, ever did. Yeah, it wouldn't. Do, it wouldn't say. sound like that. No, it would not sound like that. That's John playing guitar. Yeah. 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 Man, cool. I love that. That if you uh, no, that wasn't John playing guitar, was it? Was it? I think, I think it was. so. Yeah. yeah. Oh, was it? I think was he's it? the guy oh, that's that's, okay. that's on there. Yeah. Yeah. If you, I mean, definitely go thought, check out so. more of, of him. But uh, uh, yeah, yeah. if uh, you're alive in the world today and you like that sort of guitar noodly shit, go go see Mary Halverson live somewhere. Um, cranking it. Yeah. Oh yeah. They um. Uh, no, I thought there was. Isn't there another guitar player on the album? I thought it was just the one. Let me yeah, just double maybe, check that. Maybe I'm confused. I feel like I only heard one the whole time, but yeah, yeah. The, the head on that particular tune is like really, really nice, and I'm sure it's from one of those tunes that they're meddling together. Yeah. Um, but the other thing that's really cool about it, honestly, is just like they keep they keep it really nice in time, even though like there's the the head comes back around in a weird way where. Like they're playing like not quite on one, and then like now they're playing the lick on one. It's a cool little thing, and then later on they actually do sort of keep that through the like solo sections. Yeah, and it's kind of hard to like hear it, but it, it's totally there, and like it, it's a really cool thing. Everyone like starts playing off of that a little bit. The, the stereo mix does help you kind of zone into tune into one one voice at a time. Yeah. But yeah, that, he's the the weird guitar squiggles sound not just like weird guitar squiggles because Jack and the drummer are working their asses off. Yes, to, exactly. To provide some context for that. So they sound like intentional guitar <laughs> yeah. squiggles. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. And like honestly, like the like Jack, like he's doing so many things and then as it feels like he's sort of giving like once in a while he sort of like moves away from these walking lines and gives this more like driving like melodic idea almost like he's like handing an idea off right um and then like just goes want right back onto like walking again but the the thing that's really cool about that is even all the way up there his tone changes in a couple significant ways like he's not just sort of playing these same things in time but he's also like using more of that fret buzz and like using spots of his bass that are more noisy yeah. and doing it like totally in tune without any like any tone tuning issues of any kind the entire album actually yeah, yeah. yeah. his ear is amazing yeah, it's it's really really cool, especially coming from like a lot of the other he playing that we've heard him do is like on this electric instrument, right? So yeah. like that's sort of an interesting And he always thing. complained as did the rest of his band about you know, I mentioned earlier that there's no such thing as a bass amplifier or even really right. such thing as as a, a actual what we would consider decent PA gear at the time. So, <laughs> yeah. uh in Cream, he just was a lot of that fuzz and I guess like lack of dynamics um, in the in Cream and the rock bands is just due to just crushing loud volume oh, yeah, that yeah. you needed to have so you could be heard above loud guitar and loud drums and you know, fill up a whole building from the stage. Um, and so it's neat to hear him. Uh, and actually, if yeah, if you listen to any of the, the Tony Williams stuff or later Jack Bruce solo stuff, Compared to the cream stuff, it's really impressive. His his dynamics are really, really, oh, yeah. really, really good, and I think that just got kind of steamrolled in his early rock and roll days. And that may be another reason why he wanted to do this album. Yeah. I mean, clearly, no one was asking him to do this album, but he's like, I, I, I miss being able to hear this. <laughs> I miss being able to hear. Yeah, well, that <laughs> I can't imagine playing a cream is good for your hearing. <laughs> can't imagine at all. I don't. Even, I don't know what they did for. Um... 
You're, I don't think they had anything back. Just, in just you just pick a spot on the napkins. stage where you're, yeah, yeah, yeah. something. But um, uh, you know the the John McLaughlin Eric Clapton angle. Yeah, um, you know Clapton. Uh, well, if you know anything about Clapton at all, he was l- lauded by the press for quite a while as the greatest guitar player that ever lived. And, and I, I, I hear um, that he's gob. And he's he's gob, right? Right. Yes. And uh, mm-hmm. uh, and all of the all of that uh, kind of stuff, which which uh, at least at least publicly, he's asserted that always made him really uncomfortable. But well, there is there is a, a rather uh, a rather uh, uh, interesting, and it was around this time too. Yeah, it's like they were asking, you know, it's like you know, you're the greatest guitar player ever, and and his his he said he goes he goes, I'm not even close. You need to listen to John McLaughlin. <laughs> but Alan Alan Holdsworth is walking the earth right now, yeah, and so exactly. is uh, uh, Steve Hillage, and just so so, so Eric, so you know, so people. Eric Eric, you know, clearly knew he was not a, you know. He's not of this kind of. He's not this kind of musician. He's not. Yeah. A, he's not a. a he's a, he's a, a you know a blues purist, not a jazz jazzer. Right? Yeah. yeah. Well, and like he's even at this time, like right now, isn't or for for when this album came out, wasn't like like Joe Pass is still alive, like Jim Hall is still alive, like all like all these like just big right, jazz right. That, who are amazing who can like yeah, really move. The, yeah. the other guy that uh, the, the guitar playing on this reminds me of is Sonny Chirac. Oh yeah. yeah. Really Check reminds me of stuff. Pat Metheny. <laughs> I just wanted to bring Pat Metheny Barney, back. Barney into Kessel. Yeah. There you go. Speaking yeah. <laughs> in the 70s. Um, that's our smooth, that's, that's, our, that's our fusion swear word. <laughs> yeah, that's appropriate. <laughs> Shall we go on to the Mel Torme cover? Born to be blue. We'll never get into Berkeley blue. now. <laughs> is that a joke or is this a Mel Torme? It cover? is written by Mel Torme and Robert Wells. Oh. Cool. So it isn't just the. Well, I had a terrible joke. Okay. Let's say you know they they always stole the, the British blues guys always stole old blues songs, right? Yeah. I figured Jack Bruce would have just said this was his tune. He may have tried. Pulled a pulled a Led Zeppelin there. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, right. Chestnuts roasting on an open fire. <laughs> yeah, this is probably the closest to. Murph and the Murph tones we're gonna get on this album. I don't think it's on this track, but apparently Dick, the saxophonist, can play two saxes at the same time and does that on a couple of Songs. Oh, that's the fancy cool. schmancy. Like the dude from the blockheads, right? Yeah. <laughs> or morphine. Yeah, morphine. Is there an advantage to that? I mean, you can get some. Could play weird, like. I mean, you have to that, pay I, fewer I mean, players it's, to it's get a harmony bizarre, line. It's bizarre, like, like chordal harmony, because the keys don't. You know, what you can play with one hand on each horn doesn't exactly. It always seemed more like showmanship than... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like playing the guitar with your teeth. It doesn't sound like a... You got yeah. badass lungs. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some breath support flexing. <laughs> totally. The further we get into this, the more everyone starts like really branching out a little bit and yeah. like playing other stuff, especially Jack, obviously. But you know, and I wonder if it was recorded in this order, or if they put it in this order to highlight that. Interesting. 
because it wouldn't surprise me if this was recorded in this order because it, it's very organic. The, the great yeah. jazz albums are recorded in like an afternoon. Yeah, I mean they loaded in and set up like they're all the you know, classic like Miles Davis quintet kind of stuff is like yeah. they loaded in, set up, and and played their set like they were yeah. playing a tight set at a club and got the hell out of their albums done. So it's a expensive shit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> don't don't do that. <laughs> yeah, not everybody can do that. Yeah. <laughs> and that actually goes on for a while. The last thirty seconds, the last minute of this song, pretty much the last minute of the song, is that saxophone just, just like honking out. Yeah, just like playing around for a while. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> eventually it gets to a point where he's just like, and we're Clear. done. Yeah, it's <laughs> great. People pop, people pop. It's a nice tune. Yeah, you I know. mean it. It's it's a nice. I think this is the first one on side two, so it's a nice sort of. As opposed to over the cliff, a nice sort of mellow way to get it's back a good, into things. It's a reset, kind of. Yes. It's your 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 after dinner mint before we'll give, your we'll give dessert. you a breather yes. before the. Do we have yeah. any knowledge of why they chose that one, other than being a thing they like? Perhaps that's probably just it. I don't know. I mean, I'm not familiar <laughs> with the original. So. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, you know, I mean, filler or yeah, yeah. Well, you know, he had only written so many songs as an 11 year old. So mood music. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, yeah, I think it's nice. I don't yeah. have a... Well, maybe they also just wanted to show, hey, we can we can do the standards, classics, in a more traditional style, too, just so you don't hate us. You don't think <laughs> we're doing this because we have no choice. Right. You know. So this yeah, next tune um, was actually one that they w- would play in the Greer- Graham Bond organization before... Jack joined Cream, so there's like a GBO. Woo! Yeah, if you go back, there's one like take of this from like '62 or '63. Yeah, it's called what HCKHH Blues, which I think stands for something, but I don't know. High country kicking, high hat blues. <laughs> I don't know. Happy, happy Gilmore blues. Abbreviation for some venereal disease. There you go. Peace, contact, kissing. The guitar tone is awesome. The guitar tone is really awesome. There's some moments where it sounds like Jack's like pushing his upright out of like one of those big Marshall like speakers, like what you were saying before. Yeah, so like yeah. his upright's actually getting like some of that distortion that I think we were earlier hearing as fret our fretboard noise, but I is actually an amp. Maybe. I don't know. I think he's really good with that, like the the fret buzz and being able to get a nice, uh, like natural bloom to it, rather yeah. than just uh, I, I pluck the string hard and it <laughs> does that noise sometime. Like I think he can really call it up on demand. To it's like one of my favorite things with you know Stanley Clark's playing too. Oh, yeah. Same. He has this like not quite slap thing where it's just like a, a more intense pluck that gets a really distinct rattle and buzz that can be used rattle as, and as hum a, as a as an accent or a, a, a dynamic feature and it's kind of always on tap which yeah. is cool it's like a, a 
guitar pedal, distortion pedal that turns on when you think you want it to turn on. Yeah. Kind of thing. So well, that never happens. This is also kind of like one of the first songs on the album where like everybody opens up. Yeah. Like everybody's playing out a lot. Like yeah. That the three against four thing where they had oh, just a little yeah. while ago was pretty. Everybody's sitting right where they need to to make that happen. So like right here. <laughs> what was Graham Bond? Was he a piano player? What was he? A harmonica player. Harmonica I player. Yeah. That's cool. And didn't Which, didn't uh, Ginger uh, pull a knife on Jack uh, in that band? Yeah, what? So that was the. I think that's. I think Ginger's pulled a knife on everyone in everyone. Yeah, <laughs> every band. Well, he um. He let behind his during Cream in yeah. the Cream days. He let behind his uh, drum kit and punched Jack Bruce in the face. Um, Whoa! Took him to the ground. Yeah, yeah. Apparently, uh, um, Jack thought it was it would be interesting to play some lines over Ginger's drum solo. And and Ginger disagreed. Ginger disagreed, yeah. <laughs> Let this be a lesson to you kids. Beware of Mr. Baker. Those, those guys don't have nice nice things to say about each other. No, they don't. <laughs> yeah, that, that what reunion in 2003, I think it was, that was a minor yeah. miracle they didn't kill each other. And You're talking mountains of, I mean, those two guys, just mountains of talent that apparently... Just led to very strong disagreements. Yeah. Well, they spent a lot of time learning their instruments and not a lot of time learning personal human interactional <laughs> skills. We'll put it that way. I really like this part. Because it's really weird. I was say, for a jazz album, it's still pretty weird. It's not very rock, but it is pretty weird. was really cool. One of one of Ginger's comments about Jack Bruce was that his time was shit, but I've never heard that because <laughs> I've never heard that either. Like on this, I was just about to there's like the only way you make it out of that unscathed is that everybody's everybody's sense of time is Well, I think I think I think it must have been, you know, rock solid and they all agree. Yeah. I think it, I think it was a uh, it could have been very much an aesthetic disagreement. Yeah. You yeah. know, oh, cuz sure. time is, you know, Relative, Flexi- relative, well, exactly right. And I think they, I think they just Ginger chafed. probably felt that everyone's time was. I shit. think they, I think yeah. they chafed. Uh, he liked Eric Clapton's time. Oh, he well, said that was you. the best thing about Eric is he had perfect time. Is what he said. That, that colors my opinion of, of, of <laughs> yeah. Ginger a little bit. <laughs> oh, a little bit. I mean, like I, I love Charles Mingus a lot. I studied Charles Mingus a lot in high school and like right after high school. And so, like, I, I really, I really love him as a player and a composer. But Charles Mingus does not have great time. Like it's there are several albums that are good examples of like him just not having great time that are way better examples than anything I've heard Jack play. Like yeah. off of his entire discography, like he's got great time. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, that the the Mingus thing. Mingus was playing like it was a giant cello. He yeah. was just playing for a melody and and almost more influenced by classical. Oh yeah. Sort of. You know the, the that's what he the, learned first. The, the, the classical time thing w- is well, that's why you have a conductor. And if the, <laughs> this part sounds pretty, it gets we do it longer. Yes, you know <laughs> we're gonna it, slow this down. We're gonna speed like, this time up. is not a grid. It's like when something sounds pretty, it happens for longer. If it's n- not interesting, we move right the fuck along, well, well, and and we have yeah. a guy there telling us exactly when to do that and yeah. it, in jazz it's kind of the opposite and so totally. yeah when you have people who have 
a strong classical influence. And maybe, I mean, maybe some of that is coming through on, well, on even, with even Jack. Well, even jazz, though, you have to have a, I mean, you don't have to be a slave to it and you can share responsibilities, right? But you still, you still have to have someone who is who is providing time? Somebody's Who's been designated. Yeah. As right. and that's and I think if you don't know where you and are, I think yeah. it, it, Jack is the leader here. Yeah, it's it, it right. probably, of course, it's going to be people are going to be, you know, they're going to be tuned into what he's doing. For, for whereas I think was I think with um, you know, in Cream, you could have two guys both trying to establish yeah something and well never yeah. agreeing for a guy. I mean, and this is from Cream and mostly shit that Ginger Baker and Clapton is. <laughs> <laughs> for a guy who's famous for overplaying way too much, he's he's doing a lot of very competent minding the shop. Yeah. Oh yeah, 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 oh, yeah, absolutely. absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm I'm a uh, no. When I first heard this, I was a little bit I was a little bit startled. Not not um, uh, you know, not that he, not that I doubted his was, jazz. You sure, you sure that's Jack playing the bass? Do they get somebody else? <laughs> well, exactly because I you know I've listened to some of of Jack's later albums. Yeah, uh, uh-huh. you know, and and you know, and, and very very uh, jazz centered, but nothing that was was so um, um, unquestionably, yeah, n- nakedly, right? You know, with just kind of um, upright and you know, very very traditional jazz combo. Yeah, you know, in terms of its its uh, aesthetic and sound. Yeah, and and you know, there there's a there's a lot of you know, um, what what they're not they're not playing staid music. They're they're definitely trying to push push boundaries and the like, but. But it was like, oh, this guy, this guy really is someone who understood this very, very well and really liked it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And so, so what he, what he was doing later is, you know, he's, that is informing so much of what he's doing. Yeah. And this is the base camp from which all the other explorations. Right. Right. And, you know, and, and it was, um, yeah, it's like, I didn't, I didn't expect to be putting on a, uh, you know, a, a, a jazz album recorded in New York in the 1960s, which is the, what this sounds like yeah. you know, to me, you know, but. Well, one of the other things that uh, makes me think that Jack Bruce does have an, other than just listening to this, that, that he has a really solid sense of time and maybe not tempo, but just time, right? right, right. You know, um, is in Cream and other things later, not this album, of course, but. His singing and playing, it is very difficult oh, to yeah. play bass and sing um, often because, and especially if you play in a style similar to, to Jack's, you're playing a lot of counterpoint, both mm-hmm. rhythmically and, and harmonically. And so it's a real split your brain in half kind of, listen to uh, Politician by Cream and and listen to where the the vocal melody is on the beat and where the bass melody it lines up with the beat. And it's crazy that he can do that confidently. Oh yeah, and there's simultaneously. A, there's a bunch of songs where I mean, he's putting name a name a singing bass player, and he's he's making him look like a wimp. Oh yeah, I mean, like there's a there's a really big thing, um, like going throughout his whole co- collection, right? We have like what was that '69, like with the uh, uh, songs for Taylor or whatever that is, um, and like the sounds on that whole album are kind of a lot more almost like Led Zeppelin-y, very like, like classic Rocky almost. Um, and then like, as, as we move up through, through time, we have this album out of nowhere right after that. Right. <laughs> and then after that, you you sort of were breaking into like, almost like Jethro Tull sounds, yeah. obviously no flute, but like a lot of sort of like Jethro Tully feeling things with like organized sections that have like these hits and these lines that you have to play. But mostly there's like this groove that's happening. Right. And then, as he moves on through that, we we sort of move through this like blues era that sort of dominates the rest of his career, right, and then 
And then all of a sudden, there's this John Cage album, right? Yeah. And this John Cage album has like all this like sort of minimalist stuff going on, and it's John Cage and someone else that he's hanging out. I can't remember what the other person is. Um, but they play through this like this John Cage stuff, very minimalist, like a lot of this piano stuff. And then everything after that is basically just blues and John Cage just like melded together. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the next song actually, um, Ballad for Arthur, sort of puts a lot of this, um, like what's going to happen later. And like you sort of get to see like why he's interested in that later stuff. Like more John Cagey minimalist stuff is like almost from this song and like yeah. almost from statues a little bit. But it's really, really interesting actually. And this. The other thing about this tune, this next tune that's really, really interesting that I really liked a lot was everyone seems to just not be saying anything. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, John McLaughlin, like, says a thing, you know, just beep, 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 or whatever it is. And uh, all of a sudden, the whole song has direction. Yeah. And, like, it's still a little meandery, but it's, like, all of a sudden, we all have an idea. Just one grain, one morsel was all we needed. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. We'll see if we can get there. It's, a, it's like an eight-minute song, so it takes some yeah. time. I would like to get this one on vinyl. Yeah. Like, this would be a killer. You want to get the the, well, the stereo split one so you can oh, get rid oh, of all those annoying oh, drums? No. And you, you know can what? play... I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> I could play along. You could play along, yes. That would be a, a challenge. Part of the Jazz Play Along series. There you go. <laughs> jazz minus one. The drum eliminator. I feel very at home noodling to this sort of shit. <laughs> Yeah, it is a, a song that feels like it's not going anywhere for a bit. It's, it's like true. some ideas, but, yeah. you know. Uh, but, the, yeah, you can hear him be like, no, nah, not that one. Not right. Next. You said that already, <laughs> Let's All audition right. some stuff. Mm, no, not yet. We like that. These are things we like. Welcome to Things We Like. And so that was that guitar lick, and now all of a sudden there's some direction. Yeah. And like people are like moving now. John's playing a big old uh, Les Paul, probably. Oh, yeah. So this is this is neck pickup Les or, Paul. Or a, or a jazz box. Something. Yeah. But more likely, yeah. Like a Les Paul or a 335. It's got that Gibson-y, the, the Gibson right. basses also have a similar, like, it's that mahogany sound. <laughs> it's like fat and round, but still, you know, not like blah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone got antsy. It's just like getting their wiggles out now. Come on, let's do something. Let's do something. And let's not.
of that's in tune. Yeah. It's, just... it's definitely a ballad. So do we know who Arthur is? Are we talking I about the, the aardvark from the PBS show? Is it the, like the movie Arthur? Is... Oh, yeah, yeah, with Dudley Moore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> When did that come in? That, that was later. That was Christopher Cross be- 80, between maybe? the moon oh, okay. and yeah. New York City. That right, was the right, theme right. from Arthur. Late 70s, maybe 80s, yeah. something like that. Ten years late. Yeah. <laughs> the very early ballad for Arthur. Yeah. yeah. They saw it coming. There you go. Yeah, no, this this demonstrates a lot of And restraint. It was, yeah. as, as Zeke was putting out, like, throughout all the noodly nonsense where they're just bouncing around with each other. Jack is like stupid in tune and, and right with it um, in terms of you know tone and timing and things like that. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah, it's crazy to like he's he can hit like these like low big low notes right and then pop way up the fingerboard and just bam we're in tune for every note. There's not like a bing. There's not like, yeah like a. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fishing for the note. I'm gonna thump the open D string for a second as a reference, so I can right. get up to some. It's like, nope, right here. It's this difficult to play in tune high note or a bunch of them. Yeah. It's like I'm gonna jump from first position all the way up there and noodle around and and back and forth. Yeah, right. Like it's nothing. I'm sure it was all auto tuned. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder how much of that is is. Uh, I mean, what, I wonder what it takes to get to that point. Incredible amounts of practice. Just yeah, every practice. Day. Being yeah. times. So you, young, you feel probably yeah, you just feel playing okay. cello a bunch. Having yeah. having Helps that musician parents, you know, yeah. being exposed to it when you're very young, you always know what tune is. Everything. I mean, is. everything that I read is just that you know, since he was ten or something, he pretty much was. So right before play him. playing music every he damn day with yeah. with badasses exclusively. So that the every biggest day. critical age between 10 and 11 is when it all, it all came to be. I mean, it's honestly. Like he's there and then full-blown. Uh, yes. Yeah. The, yeah it, <laughs> he really should have been playing right now. In yeah, cream yeah. Um, at 11. Yeah. But, I mean, the biggest thing for all that, I mean, like, being a music teacher, one of the big things that I pretty much tell everybody and that really, like, all it takes to be able to do that kind of thing where you're playing in tune all the time and you just know your instrument really well is literally just, like, just put 10 minutes, just 10 minutes a day. It's like literally all you need. Just work on your stuff, actually practice, you know, if instead of like just noodling around for 10 minutes, like play a thing, make it a little bit better, spend 10 minutes working on it, and then go do some other stuff. Like it's fine. If you get back to it later that day, great. But I mean, literally if Jack just did like played every day at least a little bit, he's yeah. gonna be in tune all the time. He knows his instrument well. He yeah. can play all those tunes. It's really not an issue, yeah. you know? Just touch your instrument every yeah. day. <laughs> That sounds dirty. Don't go. <laughs> don't go tell me. <laughs> Check. Oh yeah, I'm right. in tune. There's not a lot of high notes up on that fretboard, though. <laughs> Speaking of things we like, things we like the the title tune. Blind mice, right? <laughs> See, this one I could believe an 11 year old wrote <laughs> for some reason. Dude, I love how the head turns around. Yes. Like, it's really nice. I mean, they obviously worked on it since then, but I could see just that sort of dang, 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 being something, you know. Oh, yeah. Baby Jack Bruce was writing on his cello in his, you know, bedroom. 
Yar. Yeah. Yes. Nice. <laughs> that's always the sound of hey, a that's, good. That's pretty Mingusy, isn't it? The oh, big, yeah. the big yowl behind the. Oh yeah. The oh, overheard shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. totally. Oh, he talks man. all the fucking time. <laughs> you know the mics are live. <laughs> yeah, it's a whole thing. Yeah. He, he used to like yell at other players like while he was playing. Like it was, it was a whole thing, man. Start taking phone calls. Yeah, no, <laughs> not doing anything. What about you? Yeah, phone calls from like the, from the bar. You yes. like, bring up the phone to him. Yes. <laughs> Excuse me, Mr. Mingus, you have a call. <laughs> McLaughlin over there. I love that guitar. The guitar tone is awesome. Yeah. It's almost exactly the same thing I was talking about with the the uh, like buzzy bass. Yeah. Where I mean, you can hear him playing quietly and it's very very clean and very articulate and he digs in just a tiny bit and it gets gnarly and, and nasty real yeah. quick and he's just got it on tap whenever he wants it oh yeah I started trying to transcribe some of this song actually and it's just crazy it's just dumb like, John, like or Jack's just playing everywhere yeah all the notes in some yeah. order. Yeah, just play all the yeah. notes. And McLaughlin's fond, fond of those short, flurried phrases. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's what, uh, would, like, what Dean Ween would call a frap. A frap. <laughs> which is the, yeah, the, the, like, just drag the string. Yeah. You know, it's like, the, the, it's like drunk sweet picking. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but they know it's like, fret a whole chord, even if half of the chord is not in the key of... <laughs> Yeah, right. <laughs> and, and you know, and play, play your lick in there and let like a bunch of shit ring open, you know, and you're <laughs> when you can, you know, like and this the, is like the guitar. It's a it's a far cry from, although you can hear the antecedents, it's far cry from Mah- Mahavishnu Orchestra. I mean, in terms of the tone, there's there's a oh, little yeah. bit of, I mean, it's a little bit there, but I wonder, was it was it uh, was it perhaps? Uh, I mean, was it Miles Davis that got McLaughlin to to really open it up? I think everybody like mind was blown when that. Bitches Brew album Brew came out. Album. I think, yeah, people were went home and and bought a know, new guitar. Yeah, bought yeah, <laughs> smash their acoustic guitar yeah, and like a, yeah. whatever you know. No yeah, more Django. Yeah, yeah, it's like a. But you know, and then well, you know, Cream probably had a lot to do with that. Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, my father-in-law Sam uh, saw Cream in New York um, back in the day, and he um, and he said that they played two songs, and it was like. An hour and a half concert. Yeah, oh that God. sounds like them. <laughs> so That's they came great. out, they kind of dicked around and tuned up for like a few minutes and then just got right into, you know, like they started a a rock song, like a head, you know, just like you do with any like jazz. So they started to play like a head and then they just stretched out for like 45 minutes and played the head again and then did the same thing again. And that was the show. And he said, nobody had ever seen anything like that, especially not that loud, especially not that early R- related that's some weather report shit. yeah related mm-hmm. to to blues music you know like blues and rock and roll stuff like that you know it was common for you know jazz people to do that that's how jazz music works yeah. you know and people were into that but nobody really done that with electric guitars and 
big, you know, crazy rock and roll drum set like that. So oh, yeah. It goes back know. to that, that quote too, Scott, that you mentioned earlier, right? That um we were a jazz band, we just didn't tell Eric. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like it might be they didn't tell the world either. Yes. Yeah. They, well, was, it, they were just disguising it. Makes it. a yeah, lot more yeah. money if you don't tell people you're a jazz band. <laughs> I, tell me about it. Well one of the the end of Sam's story is that he came out of seeing that show and walked outside and somebody handed him a flyer and said, Do you want to come see Frank Zappa and the Mothers of Invention across the street? And he was he was like, No. He's like, What am I what am I gonna see like after that? That <laughs> so he was I'm like, so I didn't I didn't see Frank Zappa, but you yeah. Know. Little little yeah. little did he yeah. know. <laughs> yeah. Your mind can only be like blown so much yeah, in I, one day. I also day. agree with the sentiment that that was probably enough of that for he, he could have seen a lifetime. Frank coaxing <laughs> Marines to come up on stage and stab plastic babies to death. Yeah. Yay! <laughs> you know. It's all learning. So apparently that was the last track on the album official, but there was one other song recorded at the time that has been appended onto the album as a bonus track or whatever. I don't know if we want to... That would have been quite the yeah. ending. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and it's a good way to end it. I think, you know, cohesively it makes sense that's the ending and, you know, the bonus track you can look at as an encore. You can just skip it if you want. I don't we, know. Should, we should sample it. Yeah. Definitely. This the, is, the beginning's a little quiet. But yes. Yeah. This one's, uh, what, Aging Jack Bruce 3, something like that. Scotland. Looks like a telegram. There you go. It certainly sounds like another song from the sessions. Why was there never a Jack Bruce, Frank Sinatra duet, or was there? It, I I can't see the two of them being in the same room and not killing each other. I kind of that's the uh... Frank one, had no. One of them was a whiskey drinker, <laughs> the other one drank gin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Frank them, had no patience heroin. for these yeah. uh, <laughs> these rock and rockers. <laughs> Those little quarter tone bends in the guitar. Are yeah. Like... They're really nice. It's bend into something that's in the harmonic series, but not in the key. It's uh, like sound cool. The little bit of the phrase. Yeah. It's like super flat sevens and like, yeah. yeah. I mean, I know due to the limitations of vinyl why this wasn't included, but I'm kind of curious why they picked this song to cut and not one of the others. It, was it a thing they didn't like as much? Maybe with the flow. I mean... Yeah, the, the, just there wasn't it, a good spot for it on the album. This album's very well sequenced. Yeah, I agree. For the listening experience, so... I could see how this could just be sort of redundant. Well, there you go. Clearly he wrote that at the age of three. Clearly. Clearly. As opposed to all those other Scotlands <laughs> out there. Scotland, Jamaica. Scotland isn't part of Well, no, but yeah. Scotland, England, yeah, ish. He clearly was not studying geography as a kid. Right. So. <laughs> 
Well, I'm kind of coming around uh, uh, in the, in the sense that you know, as a detour and an outlier, I mean, is it really either one of these things? Um, for cream as a whole, yes. Uh, yeah, for what made Jack Bruce famous? Yes, it is. I mean, if all you know about Jack Bruce is you know, White Room and Sunshine of Your Love, this will. I think in in his solo career one, this is a bit of an outlier. Is it yeah. being the most? Tr- uh, well, it's not well, traditional bebop or anything. It's probably the most traditional jazz of those because he gets yeah. into it gets heavy fusion. Quick, you know, the first yeah. one started a little bit more blues rocky. Yeah, as was yeah, as you would expect his from reputation. Ex- yeah. yeah, well, its instrumentation is very traditional, and then and yeah. then everything gets. You know he's he's doing uh, Tony Williams stuff and weird shit with Vernon Reed and yeah you know it's into it's into shred fusion blues pretty quick yeah well I mean over his whole career like if we're looking at like if we're if we're really looking for like outliers for for what he recorded this is definitely one of the albums that is an outlier for his entire career like if we're looking at like the entire thing but for just his solo work like from '69 to like what 2013 or whatever that is. Um, this this is one of the two albums that really sticks out, like just in a really fat way. Where like it's this one and the John Cage album that are just totally different left hand turns from everything else he's been playing. Unlike the others, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think he has a lot of other all instrumental albums in his catalog, does he? Not that I can think of. No, almost I mean, every single other one. album is him singing. And yeah. like the, that's the other thing John, that. Uh, oh yeah, Logan he's also saying. a great singer. <laughs> yeah, that's what Logan was <laughs> saying earlier. Forgot. He's a great singer. <laughs> yeah. Like, and he sings a lot in like all of those albums, pretty yeah. much. He, he sings almost all of Cream songs. I mean, yeah. people think of it as Clapton's band, but it's almost. 90% yeah. Jack Bruce singing. Yeah, which is crazy. And he's playing these, like, I mean, especially later in his career, you can definitely tell and, like, hear a lot of these crazy lines that just aren't, I mean, they're, like, melodic, but they're almost more, like, harmonic than they are melodic, right? Yeah. It's just sort of going along to a, to a melody as opposed to it being the melody. And um, he's singing, like, a melody at the same time, which is impossible for me. Like, yeah. when I'm playing bass, I'm listening to the sound of the note, and the next note that I want to play like that's the sound that I hear in my head. So if I want to sing, normally I need to audiate the note that I want to sing, and so I can't audiate both the note that the bass is playing and me singing like on the spot unless I really know what's supposed to happen. Yes. And his ability to do that is just incredible. Like yeah. it's it's it, second to very few people. <laughs> yes. It's not not anything like Evan shredding crazy improvised piano jazz while he's having a conversation with you oh my god that's something like you're that. right it's actually identical to that <laughs> evan ballinger that friggin' keyboard god <laughs> well man jack's a big hero of mine man i remember when he died i was at i was in california with my now wife and uh i saw that pop up i think not even on my phone it was on like a, the news on the tv or oh something my god. back was, in the day yeah man it bummed me out and uh He's a huge influence, um, and any rock and roll bass player people who are really dig on Jack Bruce, you really got to check out his uh, on uh, on Wheels of Fire. There's the live version of Spoonful, um, which is like a whole side of a record, and That's he cool. gives away about ninety percent of his licks and tricks and Jack Brucey vocabulary in this one stretched out solo, and you can kind of there are. You can you can steal a lot of good stuff from there. Um, so and it's just an awesome a Willie Dixon song too. So I guess I know what I'm doing tomorrow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you go steal some licks. Yeah, I think yeah. It, it's um, probably a good thing for 
or well for us and for Jack that, you know, he did embark on a solo career because I think that's part of the, uh, you know, cause he is, he does have, um, a kind of singular voice in, in, um, you know, in the bass player world, there's, there's not a lot of guys, there's not a lot of guys like him. Well, just and as I, a I musician, think, you know, right. like that's whenever he was in interviews, he would be like, well, you know, I don't really practice the bass. I play piano for a couple hours a day and then I play guitar and then I guess I play bass. So, you know, yeah. yeah. Well, I, I just mean, I think he needed to be the leader. Yeah. You know, he couldn't, he couldn't have people um, kind of, you know, I, I mean, he, you know, he did play well with others. There's, there's not that, you know, particular issue, but I, I mean, I mean, you got to go, you got to go the direction he's going. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got a vision. Right, totally. right. And it, there's also, if, if you look at the stuff that he collaborated with people, uh, um, the stuff that he's involved in where he's not the leader, the other people in the, those bands are the top people on planet earth. Yeah. Oh my God. Like Absolutely. the fact that he was asked to come play on, you know, with some of the ensembles that he's played with over the years, you don't, they don't. They, they don't would do not tolerate a, a dummy or anyone yeah, right. who could. They wouldn't tolerate somebody who couldn't hang for even a minute. They don't oh, say, yeah. "Let's get the guy from Cream and sell a few more tickets." Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's like yeah. let's get him because he's a badass. Yeah. You know, and we can we can, you know, wind him up and let him go doing his badass thing. Yeah. And you can rely on him without having to give a lot of direction. Like you can you could almost literally just be like, "All right." I hired you to play. You showed up one, two, one, and didn't yeah. even give him a, like a track list, like a song, like keys. Like it doesn't yeah. matter. Just like, just go play. Like it's yeah. fine. Yeah. No. All right. Well, any other final thoughts on the album or? It turns out Jack's amazing. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> We've learned something yeah, today. I'm glad you like this one, man. Yeah. 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 It actually, I mean, that's, I think that does sum it up. It turns out he's really good. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, well, and everybody else on this is awesome. The drummer, yeah, 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 like, yeah. hats off to the drummer. And, oh, like, yeah. He's working hard and, and sounding is? great throughout. The drummer, he was from the Graham Bond organization. I don't good. remember his name. John Heisman, who joined the band after Bruce's departure, but, you know. Apparently that's how they knew each other. So, well, cool. He crushed it too. Like he just drives that whole time. Yeah. Anyways, last parting thoughts. The drummer's great too. There you John, go. John, that's great. Good album. If you like jazz, listen to it. If you're not familiar with jazz, this may not be a good stepping stone because it's not. It's not meeting you halfway. You have to come to it. So, is it essential, Jack Bruce? As uh, I don't know if you're. Yeah, if you're a Jack Bruce fan, absolutely. I would I would put this as one of the better solo Jack Bruce things. They're all it, worth listening to. If you want context for like what Jack Bruce thinks about like in the times when he's not playing with those bands and singing lead and playing bass at the same time, this is a great album for like understanding sort of more of what he thinks about in his off time. But it's not a great album for understanding how he plays the rest of his discography. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. I guess that will wrap it up for this week. Um do we have anything we need to plug? Yeah, you got gigs. You got gigs coming up? Oh, yeah. Uh, Ghost Apes is playing UMS, uh, I think, on July, I think, 28th. I think that's a Sunday. Uh, I'd love to tell Oh, yeah, it's at the Skylark. There and you I go. And I think Sweet. we started like 8 p.m. Sweet. So that's probably the only thing nice. I really got to plug for now. So there you go. 28th, 8 p.m. Skylark. And a reminder, yeah. August um, 17th is the Denver Art Rock Collective's All-Star Show at yeah. the Streets of... Denver. Yes. The streets of not London. <laughs> Featuring the likes of 
uh, us and them. Us and them. Oh, there'll be there'll be bands. Isn't like that a Gort, band? Gort versus Groom <laughs> and uh, the we, Cadillacs and um, Plastic Rakes. Plastic Rakes and and hopefully the Inactivists or at least they, all of part of the Inactivists and <laughs> and um, um and other you know exciting yes ensembles. Stay tuned for right further on. details. Yeah, exciting. And uh, we're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. We have a Facebook group. I usually post some wacky, somewhat related YouTube clip after each episode. So that's that's important. <laughs> so join the group and uh, tune in next week when we will figure out who this artist is. Yeah.